Um, five commercials you've done. Gap, 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 <laughs> gap. Gap up, we met the first house. <laughs> Welcome back to Gamble's Green Room. I'm your host, Mike Gamble, bringing you the people you need to know, the stories you want to hear. Today, I am joined by an icon of the L.A. commercial and international dance scene. This dude has been in the game since he was like 10, starting with Newsies, Kids Incorporated. He's danced with, uh, let's go, I don't even think I can fit this in, Maya, Mariah, Janet, Michael, Brittany, uh, Prince, Paula, He's been a judge on So You Think You Can Dance, The X Factor, Britain's Got Talent, America's Got Talent, Dancing with the Stars, uh, part of Pulse, the Pulse Dance Convention. Uh, he's been around L.A. for years. I there There's not enough time for me to give the introduction of what he needs to do, so we're just going to get right into it. I am talking about the man himself, Mr. Brian Friedman in the house. Hey, 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 thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Thank you for being here. How are you, sir? I'm I'm good, and after that intro, I am clearly old. Um, <laughs> that part. <laughs> no, 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 no. We're not old. We're timeless. That's how we do that. Seasoned. Seasoned. Yes, there it is. Seasoned with seasoning on top of it. Yes. So let's jump into it. You've been in this for so long. Not talking about age wise, just your breadth of your career. How did you get started? You're from the Arizona area, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, I because I started so early as a kid, that's why it feels like I've been in this for so long. Yeah, uh, I had a fast track in when I was little. Um, it's funny. I thought I started dancing late, uh, just because so many kids in that dance studio dance competition world Mm -hmm. start dancing when they're two and three years old and that wasn't my journey right i started when i was 11 and uh my mom was a dance teacher and i think because of that she didn't want to necessarily push her children into it um so she let me find it on my own that being said i did do a combo ballet and tap class when i was two i don't remember it (laughs) but she did paint me up like a little um prostitute um so that was my first delve into dance and it didn't stick i don't know why i should probably ask my dad i feel like he may have not enjoyed seeing his son looking like that Um, but she was judging a dance competition when i was 11 and i i went and watched and i saw these Uh, girls on stage doing this dance and they were my age and something just clicked. I love dance on television and I was immersed in pop culture, but it was when I saw these kids dancing that I decided I wanted to do that. So she took me to that dance studio and from my first dance class, I was hooked. And um, it was a, a quick journey for me. One of the girls that I danced with won a scholarship at a convention to go out and take class in LA over the summer. And I went with her that summer and took classes and an agent was watching and spotted me and gave me her business card. And in a matter of months, I was in LA auditioning and booked the movie Newsies. So I was talking to Tony Gonzalez, Tony G, a couple episodes ago. Oh yeah. And I've seen that movie many times. And then I had to rewatch it and literally go, Oh my God, that's Brian (laughs) right there. A baby. 
how how old were how how old were you when you booked Newsies? I was twelve when I auditioned, uh, and I was thirteen when I booked the movie, hmm. and I turned fourteen while we were shooting. So it was a, over the course of a pretty long time. Okay, but that was definitely the beginning of everything for me. So when you started dancing after you saw this convention. How you? How, how can I say this? How much raw talent did you already have from when you <laughs> were two years from when you were two years old that was still there? Was it was it a quick? Um, yeah, I in that talent competition that my mom was judging, I actually competed. I did a lip sync solo. <laughs> I mean, it sounds terrible. In my mind, it was I was really cool, and I knew what I was doing because I had done it in our school talent show. And it was to a song called Dial My Heart by a group called The Boys, which was like the kids' answer to sort of BBD. Yeah. And um, I did this lip sync holding a phone and singing the song and just dancing around. And um, so I felt like I already had talent. <laughs> I mean, it was <laughs> definitely not harnessed. It, I definitely didn't know what I was doing, but my mom had been showing me things at home and teaching me to dance, even if I wasn't taking classes. So my first dance class, when I went to it, I already knew what Shanae's and PK's and pirouettes and all of these things. Like my, my skill set was a little higher than your average beginner dancer. But by the time I auditioned for Newsies, I had been dancing for, um, what, like a year and eight or nine months. Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel like I soaked so much up in that year, in eight or nine months. I soaked it up from the girls that I danced with. You know, I put my eye on the best dancer in the room and mm -hmm. sort of idolized who that dancer was and used them as the thing I wanted to replicate. And then we would go to dance conventions and I would see other dancers in the area and I would see another boy dancer who I thought was amazing that lived in my hometown who I just wanted to be just like him. And then I started, I went to LA for the classes over the summer and I soaked up all of this knowledge from professionals who were in the industry. So I feel like if you want something and you are that sponge type of personality and learner, you can really achieve things pretty quickly. That doesn't mean you're going to work right away. Obviously, the cards have to line up for you. And a lot of it has to do with luck and being in the right place at the right time. But if you want something and you bust your ass to get it, nine out of 10 times, it, it will eventually happen, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. And then we're going to get into you uh, teaching, inspiring the next generation as well uh, later. But um You've always had that in your class, in your convention classes, that try not pulling it out of the students, but really getting them to release that inner passion for dance, not just not just doing the steps and not just trying to show off for you or whoever they're teaching from, but really to find that fire and that desire of dance. Oh yeah, from within. I mean, I feel like. I, and I say this when I teach a lot, class is not for me. It is not about me. It has nothing to do with me. I am merely the person who is there to inspire. Mm -hmm. um, class is about them. When I am hard on students or I'm yelling at the room in a, in a passionate way, 
um, it is because of them and only them. And I think mm-hmm. that that is where it all stems from. And it, it stems from me being so inspired by people when I was younger that uh, I just want to be able to do that same thing for these kids and hopefully get them somewhere in life, not necessarily as a professional dancer, but just to pull that thing out of them that tells them that they're good enough and that they have something special about them. Nice. Oh, that's so beautiful. So going back to you for a second, uh, were when you were when you were in LA and when you were going uh, taking classes, were you also part of the Tremaine Convention circuit or? Um, yeah, Tremaine is where I grew up. There mm-hmm. were two conventions, two main conventions that were West Coast driven when I was a kid, and they were Tremaine and Dupre. Those were the names of them, and um, those are the ones that I fell in love with and attended. And those are the ones that had dance studios that you would. Uh, in the older ballroom, you could win a scholarship or as teenagers, you could win a scholarship for two weeks to go and train in the summer. And that's what my friend won was a scholarship to do pray. Mm-hmm. And this is before edge had opened up and, uh, all of the teachers at Dupre were the ones who were besides the teachers at Tremaine and some teachers taught at Tremaine and Dupre. Um, that was where the professionals would go and dance. And yeah. it was very rare to have kids in class. And most of the teens that would be in class were like 16 and up. And I was that rare small child that thought I belonged in the studio. But Tremaine was my dance home after that. Once I moved to LA and started working professionally, I would take class every single night. Even if I was on a job, I would leave Mm. work and go to Tremaine and take classes. So that was uh, my childhood dance studio, truly, besides the one that I originally started training at in Arizona, Um, you know, dancing two years. And now all of a sudden I'm training at a professional studio. So I definitely jumped forward (laughs) in terms of ability really fast. Did back in Arizona, when you started again, did you start at your mom's? Did you start with your mom? Cause your mom was a dance teacher. Did you go to another dance school? Yeah. The one that, uh, I saw at the dance competition, mm-hmm. that was a studio that she was familiar with because she had been taking adult classes there. Mm-hmm. She was currently teaching at the community college. She taught at Scottsdale community college through my whole childhood. Um, so I was definitely familiar with dance, but clearly I couldn't go and take college classes. So uh, <laughs> she didn't she didn't really teach anywhere locally teaching children that I could mm. take from her, which is why she sort of taught me on the fly on the side. But uh, once I started dancing at that dance studio, she ended up getting hired as a teacher there and she was teaching classes. So my mom was my teacher there as well as the owner of the dance studio. And... Um, when I would go back to Arizona in between jobs, I would get to take and there. And when I was in LA, I'd be taking it Tremaine or um, Dupre. That was definitely where I got my training and on dance conventions. Um, yeah. I wasn't necessarily making dance conventions and competitions my primary focus at that time because I was working in LA so much. But I would still go out and compete with my hometown studio sometimes. And Tremaine and Dupre were still the homes for those. Actually, Dupre had closed by that point a few years into my dancing. Um, the studio closed and mm-hmm. the teachers from there opened up a new studio, which was Edge. And the convention became LA Dance Force, which was another convention that was uh-huh. around for years and that's years and history. years. 
Um, that was the early days of new conventions starting. And now there's a million conventions <laughs> out there. But Tremaine was my favorite convention as a kid. And uh, once I had moved to LA, I started assisting teachers on Tremaine. I used to assist uh, Doug Caldwell and Marguerite Derricks on Tremaine. And I would go out and assist John Crutchman on LA Underground, a different convention that was out there. Um, conventions will forever be the home of where dancers are built. Mm. I think, of course you can pursue it different ways. You can start dancing in college. There are no rules to this, but a large majority of professional dancers did grow up in that competition scene, mm -hmm. the convention scene. And then the most, uh, the most repeated common denominator in all of this is you dedicated yourself to training. You, at any point you could dance. You said it earlier that if you were, if you were in a job, you came back after and continued dancing. You went to class, you went back home, you took class, you went to, uh, Dupree clothes, you took class, you went over to where, uh, the teacher started edge. Like you were always in it to, to build yourself, to, it, it was your source of life at that point. It sounds like that. And what's funny, it, it definitely was my source of life. And I equate this to, I didn't have a fun school life as a child. I was bullied in school horribly and I never really fit in with conventional learning of mm. education and in, in the normal classroom. <laughs> I was great if it was an artistic room, anything that um, appealed to my artistic side because I was a different kind of learner. Mm. And um, because of that dance, when I found it and found classes and found something to fill my time and fill this void this missing part of my life it wasn't even a question as to what i was going to do with my time if i wasn't dancing i was sleeping <laughs> and <that> was it. <laughs> i was dancing all day and all night and if there was any free time i was going to fill it with a class or with a rehearsal or with mm. something like that it was your outlet yep mm. and it wasn't a subconscious choice <laughs> it was just what i was doing and it made sense yeah. which i think was great because it was the first thing that ever really made sense to me mm -hmm. random question not it's not really random but from going where we're do you have any siblings yes do they I, dance um, as well no <laughs> my, <laughs> no. my sister danced around the same time when I did my two-year-old endeavor mm -hmm. and uh, <laughs> she didn't stick with it either. I think she did maybe two years of dancing and some ballet and she did two little recitals. But yeah, it wasn't a calling for her. My brother never even tried it. Um, I I just feel like it's a calling. It's, mm -hmm. it's a God given gift. If you have that thing and it will find you if you don't find it. So yeah, it wasn't for them. They're, they're normal <laughs> people as I refer to everyone who's not a dancer. <laughs> Normies. So yeah, muggles. So we go to LA, we're taking class. We, we do the convention with our friend. Um, Agent happens to be there. You get the card, you go back, you end up booking Newsies. Was that, uh, for, for your family, you going over, how, how can I say, 
you said you were going back and forth. So how often were you in Los Angeles at, cause again, you're still a minor, you're 12, 13, 14 at this point. Yeah. How did it that was, work? it was definitely difficult. I mean, that is why I am so thankful and grateful forever to my parents for making it possible. Mm-hmm. It's not ideal. It's not normal. My mother had a full-time job. She worked all the time. My father was traveling the world. He had many different businesses. Um, so for them to figure out how a financially to move me and make it possible and be who is going to take care of me, right. who is going to stay with me at those times. It was definitely a challenge. Um, my brother and sister were, let's see, adults because <laughs> they are <laughs> six and nine years older than me. So my sister was 18 when all of this started happening. Um, and my brother was 21. So they were old enough to be able to act as my guardians as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and my brother did and my mother did they would split time when my mom had to be away from watching me my brother would come and watch me for a while uh, i had an apartment that i was paying for <laughs> at this time the money that i was making from work was there to help support what it is that i was trying to do in my life and the rest of the money was getting put into an account um but yeah, I was in LA pretty much full time because once I started doing newsies, it was a nonstop job. It mm-hmm. never took a break. And we worked on it for over six months. And off of the tail end of doing that, I booked a TV show called Kids Incorporated, which I was just coming for to that months again. So it was like every time I thought, okay, it's this is it, like the fun, cool dream is done. Now I have to go back to mm-hmm. normal. Um, it wouldn't happen. And I didn't have to go back to normal. I just kept booking job after job. And like, we went from this little tiny one bedroom apartment to a two bedroom to a three bedroom so that like more family could be there when they were in town. And I never left. I would fly back home when it was time for a dance convention or competition or to do a rehearsal with my dance studio, but home base was for me in LA at that point until I was 16. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned, excuse me, you mentioned kids incorporated. If you are too young to know what this show is, this was so kids incorporated and the Mickey mouse club were, if you were a kid between the ages of nine and 16, this is what you wanted your life to be. These were kids singing and dancing their life away. And uh, actually, a lot of famous people that we know now got their start on these TV shows. Yeah. How did you get into Kids Incorp? Like, was it okay? One, was that your next job directly after Newsies? And two, how did you get into it? Yeah, I just remember going to my friend's house, like four houses down, my childhood friend from the time we were eight years old. I just remember going over to her house on Saturday mornings to watch cartoons and kids incorporated. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like what we did. That was my show as a kid. It was the coolest thing on television. And it was there before Mickey mouse club when they did the reboot of Mickey mouse club is when kids incorporated moved to the Disney channel. And then those shows were on back to back and they were rivals. And that happened right before I got the audition um, for Kids Incorporated. So I was definitely, I mean, that 
to me was the biggest audition besides Newsies. When I got the Newsies audition call, which was my first audition ever, um, it was being billed as Dirty Dancing 2 <laughs> because Kenny Ortega was directing it uh-huh. and Kenny Ortega had just done Dirty Dancing and it was just this new project and his name was attached to it. And I'm like, why am I auditioning for Dirty Dancing? Right. <laughs> and then as, as we got into it and we got the briefs and I, I had the sides and I was singing and acting and doing all these things, which I had never acted and I had never sang. I had to see a vocal coach and an acting coach. It was all very new to me. Um, but... <laughs> That was really big. But when this Kids Incorporated audition came up, it was that to me was the pinnacle because it was something that I loved. And I think that was the dream job. And knowing I was making it to the end of the audition, we kept going through cut after cut. And then we were at callback days and it was dwindling down. It was definitely a dream come true. And for me, once I booked that job, going on the set was just like it was like i was living a dream because this is the set that i had watched when i was a little kid and granted like there weren't many years between that but when you're a kid it feels like your whole life has built up to something like that um so it was definitely a dream job and i did it for three years uh until the show was canceled so i did it all the way to the end and yeah mickey mouse club was the rival show um and when i was on it was when uh, Justin and Brittany and Christina and Ryan Gosling and uh, Katie, like all of them were on Mickey Mouse Club at the same time. So it was definitely a celebrity breeding ground, which is pretty much what Disney and Nickelodeon stayed doing for the rest of their trajectory. Yep. So when we're, we're going to get into that in a little bit, when we get to your quote unquote adult life of working, but even though you guys were uh, rival, rival shows, was there any interaction between the two casts? Um, can't even remember what it was that we used to do. There were charity events that would go on every year at Universal Studios where all the different shows and not just Disney shows, but all of the network shows that were on at that time kids from the shows would compete for charities. So I remember running into them at different events, uh, like over the course of time, but you know, we were definitely in our own little bubbles, especially for me being so new on that. But as the years went on, I developed friendships with people from other shows and it really became sort of like a childhood rat pack <laughs> of some sorts but a lot of the kids that were on the mickey mouse club they filmed in uh florida mm-hmm. so they weren't really a lot of them in the la circle unless okay. they were from la which a lot of them weren't from la because mm-hmm. they used to do their talent scouting all over america and then bring them in for training whereas kids incorporated was an la-based show they auditioned la kids and any kids that weren't from la like me uh were at the <laughs> audition but had to work as locals mm-hmm. and mickey mouse club moved these families and kids and put them up uh, bro you lived you lived my childhood dream of mm-hmm. kids incorporated oh i remember i forget what's name the tall girl that used to have the brown ponytail which used to her costume was always, with a jean jacket that's her 
that's uh, the original um Fergie when Stacy Ferguson was yeah. on the show Fergie um she was my favorite she was the little one because she was closest to my age I was such yeah. a little kid watching her and Rasan Patterson all of the originals that were on it and then Shawnice Mario Lopez all the people that came through yeah it was amazing uh, talent dude you yeah whatever okay so now now we're moving up we're getting a little older we're around our teenage years so we're we did newsies which was did you say six months of shooting yeah and then kids incorporated which was three were you still booking jobs while you're doing kids incorporated or was it no i was that was every day a week job that worked uh through the entire summer it was after that that i started really having to do the grind and the hustle of what it was to be an independent contractor Mm. um and go to auditions and go to class and you know there would be stretches of time where i wouldn't have a job but at that time it was more like stretches like weeks (laughs) Um, (laughs) but it was definitely doable to be able to still live there and in between my time of going to auditions and booking jobs i would just be constantly training and staying in class and i actually uh was in a singing group that was formed from people that i was on kids incorporated with uh it was myself Brittany murphy and Eric Balfour and another actress, Haley Johnson. It was the four of us. And that filled a lot of my time. And we did a mall tour. And um, it was definitely not for me. I was not great <laughs> at singing. <laughs> and it's funny because I watched the videos back and I'm not as bad as I thought I was. Um, but yeah, that was something else that filled my teenage years. How do we find these videos? What do we look up? Well, there's only one that's actually out there, and it's pretty tragic. Uh, <laughs> we were called Blessed with Soul. Yes, that was a moment in time. I was 15 at the time. Um, definitely a moment. But I got to live out my my pop dream of actually being the front man and not being a backup dancer because, you know, as dancers, you're always behind someone. Right. Maybe not now for the TikTok and Insta generation of dance stars, but back then, as a dancer, you were never getting top billing. Mm. So how long was the singing group together? We were together about a year. Um, It formed, I want to say, 92. Sounds about right. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we were together for like the year of 92. (laughs) very long time ago. And then what, what was the catalyst for moving on? Um, I would get horribly nervous and I'd have anxiety going on stage and performing and having to sing. Whereas dance, like there's a difference between excitement nerves and what I was feeling there with singing. Uh, it's what would happen if I ever had a singing audition or an acting audition. Mm-hmm. It just, it didn't feel right to me. Like, nothing should ever make me feel that mm-hmm. tense and panicked. And if it does, it's probably not something that I should be experiencing all day, every day. Right. So I just knew that it wasn't feeling right and it wasn't getting better. So I decided it was time to throw the hat in on that. And the group all 
ended up separating right after that. We all had our different paths. And I, at that point, decided that dance was really what I wanted to do, what I felt comfortable doing. It's what my passion was. And I was devoting then full energy into that. Nice. So did is this when we started our backup dancer uh street I, mean, I was or... still somewhat younger then i was only 15 at the time i was still only 15 in... at this point so this all happened within three years yes it was all very fast um and i just was still auditioning and doing jobs in la i mean at that point i had booked a job for michael jackson i had booked another job that had me working for Celine Dion and Salt and Peppa and Melissa Etheridge and Patti LaBelle, like all of these names together in this show that I did with them. It was like I and Paula Abdul at that time. So I had worked for literally everyone almost that I wanted to after working for a year and a half or two years at this point, which was incredible. And it also can set you up for some big letdowns if mm. it doesn't keep that same rhythm moving. And after I did my third year of Kids Incorporated and I turned 16 that summer on the job, uh, that was the first time I ever experienced what it was like to not be employed. I had grown. I was not cute and tiny and little mm. anymore. I was tall and lanky and when it came time to booking children on jobs, I was not getting booked for the children jobs and I was too young to do the adult jobs. And there was a lapse of time. And that was the first time I realized, okay, we have to move back home and I can't really do this right now. So that's when we moved back to Arizona and I went back to normal school, which was just crazy for me. Uh, I said that I was not good in school and it was a different story this time around because I had some fame. So all these people who used to bully me in school were now being nice to me mm. and I didn't want to have anything to do with it because I remembered clearly <laughs> what they thought about me. Mm. Um, so it was an awkward time in life for me, for sure. And my dance studio that I grew up at, I was choreographing for them at this point like all of the dances and things we would do at competition, but I wasn't getting any credit for it. And I also wasn't teaching classes. And granted, I'm 16 years old. At this time, I don't need to be teaching classes, but I would love to just maybe have my foot in and have a little credit for the work I do. And because that wasn't offered and because it was putting a really bad taste in my mouth, my mom and I decided to open a dance studio. Mm. And that's what we did my summer of turning 16. <laughs> you opened Crazy. up a studio at the age of 16 with your mom. When I was 17 is when we officially opened our doors, but yes. And Dope. that, that created a whole new era of life for me. <laughs> um, but it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Mm. It's what I was good at because I loved dance and everything that I had learned over my years, which was not that long, but to me, it felt like a long time. Um, I wanted to teach to the younger generation of dancers. Mm -hmm. And um, 
but what I really wanted to be doing was working professionally. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I knew I wasn't done with my professional career. I'm now finally getting close to the age where I can be working for recording artists and going on tours and being in videos and not being a kid anymore. Um, so I was definitely feeling pulled in, in two different directions. And by the time I did turn 18, I had two lives that I was living. If you want to say that I was back to LA working full-time doing professional jobs, but still feeling this magnet pulling me back to Arizona to teach, which was not what I wanted to do with my career. So uh, that was probably a tough time in life until we made the decision to close our dance studio, which was seven years after we opened it. But wow. once that studio closed, I was full steam ahead on my career, not having anything holding me back. That's, that's really interesting. There's so many interesting points in there that one, even though you were 16 and the studio had you teaching, there's still, there's still a level to, I'm doing all this work and you're not giving me credit for it, even though I'm 16. Like every, every teenager at that age, no matter what you're doing, wants to be recognized for the work that yes. they're doing. So yep. that's number one. It's, I applaud you for recognizing that and understanding that. And again, I don't think, I don't think it was about the fame of it, but it was the recognition for the amount of work that you were doing. Yeah. And I don't age. think I, I had to even be given a class looking at it in retrospect. I think if I had just been given some credit that I would have probably ended up sticking around. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, everything happens the way that it should. And right. I learned so much from having my studio back then. Mm -hmm. I learned that I don't want a dance studio ever again. <laughs> <laughs> That's not something that I enjoy. Um, I just, there's a lot of headache that comes with owning. And I, I bow down to all studio owners mm -hmm. and teachers and directors of studios. It's a hard job dealing with the families, dealing with the faculties, dealing with the kids. It's just a lot of work. They work as guidance counselors, <laughs> mental yeah. health coaches. They do so much work uh, to raise these kids up. And uh, I do a lot of that, but I don't have to take the work home with me. And I have mm -hmm. different kids every weekend when I see them at events. Um, and I don't have a lot of the liability and I... I like that I get to work with so many kids and mentor so many of them in the way that I do now <laughs> without the responsibility of owning a studio. So it worked out the way it was supposed to. <laughs> but then because uh, a major portion of your career at this point is teaching as well. Did you, did you find that you have a passion for teaching? I know you said that you, at this point, it's what you were doing to fill in that age gap of working for your professional career. You were too young to be old. You were too old to be young. Mm. But now where you are in hindsight, did this, did having the studio help, uh, generate this passion for teaching that you have now, or is teaching something? Having, yes, it was definitely the first time I felt that urge to make other dancers better. Um, because the kids that were getting better and that were succeeding, I, I saw that I, I 
played a role in that. Mm-hmm. And I think it definitely was appealing to me. I wanted them to be better. But I will say that ego really guided and, and propelled me in a direction because if they were good, then I was good. Mm-hmm. And that's not really the guiding force for me anymore. Mm-hmm. I am beyond proud of the successes of my students and, and what they've achieved, but I don't do it for me. I do it for them. Nice. And I feel the reward just from their success. But definitely for me then, you know, if I put a piece on stage and it would win, that's my win. Like mm-hmm. that's, it was definitely a competitive spark in me to be the best. Um, so I definitely think that era taught me how to fight and to be successful as a choreographer and as a teacher, but it was definitely all about me (laughs) and it was (laughs) ego driven for sure. I always go back to this conversation that I had with a good friend, you know, super Dave, uh, we were teaching at, uh, Debbie Reynolds together. And he got really upset in class that so many teachers would do students got so used to show meography where the teacher was, it was all about them where it's not, there's a learning experience in everything. Uh, if we choose to see it and you actually learn, which is really great at a young age that the more rewarding part of it is the growth of your students versus like you said, the win is me. The choreography perfection is me. But there are so many, as you know, there are so many of our cohorts in the business still that it's about me, 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 me. And it, I don't want to say it fails the upcoming dancing generation or the students, but it does because there's a disconnect, one, of the amount of energy and passion the students are trying to give in the class. And then also why it starts to become that way, because they try and perform to book the job. You know, mm. there, there have been times uh, during our during our time in L.A. where a, a class would turn into an audition for a gig coming up, but it wasn't the ultimate of it. And I feel mm-hmm. that a lot of classes now have turned into that, that it's about the ooh, yeah. the camera's going to be on me now. Ooh, I got to I got to yes. perform. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Completely. No, I mean, there they literally there are choreographers now who post their class flyer and say, I'm looking for dancers in this class for upcoming projects. So every class now can be a potential audition. Every class is, uh, classes that are being filmed, Mm. is an audition to make it to the final group to be filmed in that class. That is an audition. So there is something on the line in every class. Mm. And even if they're not filming, these, these kids are so used to being in that position that there is always this pressure to deliver mm-hmm. and not just to train, which is sort of just where we're at right now. And it's, it's a shame that they don't know the feeling. And I just I posted something recently from maybe 10 years ago and the energy in the room was different because there was no Instagram. Mm-hmm. Instagram was brand new, but it wasn't, there were no videos on it yet. So like no one was dancing in class with fear they were just enjoying themselves and they could make mistakes and they were letting loose and being authentic. And I don't know if we can ever go back to that and not because there are classes 
that are filmed because there can definitely be a class where we say, put your phones away. This is not going to be filmed. We're just going to have this moment together. But what they are doing with, what they are dealing with in this generation that they're living in, they can't turn off yeah. because this anxiety and insecurity and self-doubt is just so beat into their core because they're in a constant state of comparison. So it's definitely sad. And yes, there are teachers that are leading with ego. And I definitely led with ego and I taught too. Like, please believe that I would show the choreography and annihilate it. And Mm -hmm. I wanted that accolade from them. And I wanted to show them how incredible I thought I was. And the difference is I would also teach them At the same time, I may have had an ego and I may have walked in the room with an air of my shit don't stink because that's how I wanted to be perceived. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't believe you're a star, who is going to believe you're a star? Fair enough. And that's how I led. And that's how superstars led back then. And that was who I looked up to the role models who were like that. I thought that that was cool. So I was then doing that. But I would still teach. I would know my counts to my choreography. I would demand excellence from my students. So I am fine if you want to have a little superstar ego, Mm -hmm. but back it up with the way that you teach and the way you inspire. And maybe in five years, 10 years, 15, 20 years, you will calm your ego down and, you know, and will realize you don't need that to be epic and to be accepted. Um, And that's maturity. And that's something that I don't expect for all kids to have because I didn't have it. Cool. Uh, And I also believe in giving people grace and Mm -hmm. um, giving them time to grow and then, you know, them accepting what they've done and taking accountability for past actions. I think that's key. I'm not a fan of canceling people. I would love for people to just be able to be reformed Mm -hmm. (laughs) and take accountability and be better. Key word. That's you said my magic word, accountability. I've been talking about this for three years now. Uh, as a lot of my friends know that a lot of people are just not held accountable for the actions that they do or do not do. And I, I firmly believe that that is the path to growth is if you can learn how to take responsibility for what has happened, that's how we grow. It's not about pretending it didn't happen. It's not about gracing over that it happened. It's, Oh, that shit happened. How can I, how can I grow from that? How can I help other people grow from it? But so many people are so scared of taking that responsibility for what has happened. It's like, Oh no, 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 no. It's like, guys, just breathe, relax. Let's discuss it. Let's talk about it. Let's grow together. And then we be, we become better humans because of it. Yeah. It's a gift. Accountability is a gift. Mm -hmm. It's a weight lifted up. And then just to do better feels so good. How can you not want to do better every day? Did you hear that? How can you not want to do better? How can you not want to be better? You wake up in yeah. the morning. I'm better than I was the day before or the moment before. That's what I, not me, but that's what I strive for should be like in the head of yeah. 
Success is knowing you're one step further than you were the day before. That's growth. That's being better. Yeah. And success to me is not, and this is where it really lands. Success to me is not the accolades and the jobs and what I've done. Success is how you are every day to people. Because all of that stuff is fleeting. All of that stuff is insatiable. You know, you, you do one job and you're proud of it for that moment, but then you are waiting for something else to come. And when it comes, it's never good enough, no matter how high you get up on that ladder. Um, and once you realize that, that's when you can really start to live your life and realize that all that stuff is just superficial. It really is. Uh I am so glad you are saying these words so I don't have to be the only one saying them. It's funny because people will ask me, you know, what do you want to do next? What what are you excited about? Mm -hmm. And I don't really I've done what I set out to do. So I tell people, this was two weeks ago, well, I want to learn how to use my sewing machine. <laughs> They're like, well, that's what you want to do next. And I'm like, yeah, because it's exciting and it's new mm -hmm. and it's something that I haven't conquered. So of course, like give me a Broadway show. Yes. I haven't choreographed a Broadway show. I haven't done a theater show in New York. I would love to do that. So yeah, that, that would excite me. But a music video? No. I've done that already. <laughs> a, a tour? No. Maybe. Yeah. It could be. It could be exciting, but would it fulfill me? Would it change my life? Would it change my my pocket? Like, no, it really wouldn't. Not in the way that it does when I teach and go into a room with a bunch of kids that I don't know. And I have to get them on my side and make sure that they walk out of that room better than how they walked in. That is exciting. So for all these people that are searching for something in their professional career to fill a void or to replace something, they're not going to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's something that I think is very important and needs to be known for this generation is what they are trying so hard to achieve cannot be their focus and how they view the success in, of their life. The iconic Brian Friedman, ladies and gentlemen. The iconic Brian Friedman. Thank you. Words of wisdom. Uh, I have another question for you. Uh, not do you prefer or what's easier, but kids classes versus adult classes or like master classes versus convention classes, the age range, which, which is the more desirable, which is the more fulfilling. There you go. Um, it's really difficult. There's so many different areas that I teach in, whether it's convention or whether I am going to a studio that I've been going to for decades that I still go into their studio and I'll teach their kids and do in-studio master classes or master classes at professional studios. Um, and then at, or then there's dance camps. I go around the world and do these huge dance camps in foreign countries and in America over the summer and special events. There's a lot of different teaching that I do. Um, 
the most challenging teaching is children. Children that are not professional dancers. Mm -hmm. My choreography is and will always be on the more difficult side, not necessarily technically difficult, but in terms of musicality and tempo. Um, I, I just really like to challenge dancers. When I was a kid, I gravitated towards the teachers that scared the hell out of me <laughs> because I know I knew that they were pushing me to be better and that I was going to be better after that class because I wanted to be the best. So, and there is no such thing as the best, but in my eyes, there was. <laughs> but <laughs> that to me is how I teach. And not all of these kids that come into my class have that drive and that will. Mm -hmm. They also don't have access to the training and the dancing that gets them ready to step into my class. So for me, it's a challenge to get these kids who maybe aren't ready or aren't at my level to get them on board and believing that they are capable, even if they don't have the skill set yet. Mm -hmm. So that is more of a mental thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I, I used to say my, I went to the front line of class, you know, the good dancers, the best dancers in the room, and they were my primary focus. And what is that? The best dancer? It's the top 1% of the room or 2% of the room. Well, what about the other 98% or 99%? So now my goal is to teach the 99% and to look around and scan the room for that one dancer who looks like they need that confidence boost or looks like they may break. So I want to fix them so they don't break nice. in their hour with me. So that's definitely the most challenging, but also the most rewarding. Mm -hmm. Um and that's, it makes every single room that I step into exciting and new. Um, the most fun is definitely masterclasses at professional studios mm -hmm. that everyone just is already on board. And I can be the tough, crazy, est version of me that I want to be. And I know they'll be on my side. Mm -hmm. That being said applying equity to the room is really important to me being fully transparent. And I, I talk so much more now in class than I used to just because I want everyone to know who I am, understand what my objectives are when I'm teaching them and just to lower the power dynamic mm -hmm. um, in the room. But that's definitely the most exciting for me and it will never get old. Um, another rewarding moment for me is to teach abroad when I am overseas and seeing dancers who have maybe watched me on YouTube or followed my career since they were a child. And now they are a grown adult with children of their own, being able to meet them and, and see the inspiration that they've gotten from my dancing is definitely rewarding, but in a different way. Mm -hmm. Nice. That's the, but there, everything you're saying right now, there's so much growth and dynamic and depth to where you started from to where you are. And it's humbling and honorable to hear you speak so candidly about what you used to think and how you used to teach and now how you teach. 
and the going from the front line, which almost every one of us as teachers has done, to really looking for that person that is, I don't want to say failing, but is struggling a little bit more. Mm. Because that's actually the measure of how successful we are as teachers. If we can get that person, as you said, on board with us, it's just really nice to, especially for someone of your caliber, to hear those words come out of your mouth. Uh, Going back to the ego that we're talking about that a lot of teachers have both then, today, and today, that thank you. Thank you for... Well, you're welcome. (laughs) I, I just... I didn't have teachers saying the things that I say now Mm -hmm. to look up to as role models, as a dance teacher or as an instructor or master teacher or role model, all of these different things or a mentor, there was no one speaking on these things. So I didn't have anyone checking my behavior Mm -hmm. or giving me, inspiration on how I could be better and what I could do to be better at this. So I think now with this is the good side of the internet and social media is that kids who are coming up now as teachers will hopefully see this and see me as a role model and in my classes, be able to feel this because I will tell you, I took first from some crazy mean teachers and I loved them (laughs) and I loved it, but not everyone is like me. I am twisted. I am that 1%. (laughs) I was that 1% in the class who wanted the teacher to be me mean because that made me work harder. Mm -hmm. I loved that teacher. I loved when the teacher would scream at the other dancers next to me. And then I would console my friend who got screamed at. And it was all good because the teacher, in my eyes, they want you to be better. Mm -hmm. So they care about you. So I I definitely was hard on students, but in my mind, it's out of love. Mm -hmm. But not everyone receives the information in the same way. And not everyone is having the same experience at home. And when they step into your room, your words can break them because Mm -hmm. you don't know what happened to them that day or right. where they came from. So even though you're doing it out of love and tough love, you don't really know what they're going through. So unless you know someone in and out in their life experience and what they did that day, you really can't mm-hmm. drive things that hard. Mm. But I still <laughs> want to be the teacher that I needed to those students that want that. So it really is about reading the room and, and being able to deliver as many different people mm-hmm. <laughs> to so many different students uh, to give them what it is that they need. Cause I will still be a tough teacher and push those students for excellence that I see um, need it. But again, the 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 found the grounding of that is it's for them, not you. And I think oh, that's completely. the difference of it. That uh, that that drive isn't to just be a mean teacher, but it's to pull the best out of them. And as you said, knowing how to read the room to adjust that level for them. And I know that when I owned my studio and I was seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. And teaching, and I was mean. I was mean because I wasn't happy. 
because mm-hmm. I wasn't doing what it was that I wanted to do in my life. I wanted to be on tour with someone. I wanted to be in LA and I'm having to be pulled back to this dance studio and teach kids when it wasn't what I wanted. So I was taking my frustration and anger out on them. It had nothing to do with them. They were excellent. Mm. That's again, accountability, response, taking responsibility for your act. Like, no, again, going back, that was, this is hindsight at 19. You didn't know. 2020. Yeah, there, <laughs> there it is. It's, but that's how we grow. That's how we can also yeah. inspire you. You, you even said it, you're trying to be the teacher that you never had that it's, it's, it's just, it's from internal, external. It's getting them to know that you're here for them, not you're here for me. Mm -hmm. And that's so much more rewarding. So with, with all of your, with all this talk about, uh, your teaching, let's go back into your professional career, because that's actually what you wanted to be doing during, Mm -hmm. uh, that time. How did we get back into Los Angeles and start booking and dancing and choreographing for the world, because that's what you've done at this point. Um, yeah, I. It was l- literally no time. We opened the studio. I turned seventeen, and I started getting calls for auditions. And there were some that I could do where they would be willing to hire under eighteen. And I did a couple of jobs before I turned eighteen. Mm-hmm. And by the time I turned 18, it was like all of a sudden work was full. So between that time of, I don't know how many years were left in the studio, four years, um, between the time I turned 18 and we closed in 2000, I was working nonstop. My first job for an artist that I booked was with Prince and it was a long-term job for a dance company that he had, which was called the NPG dance company. Mm -hmm. And it's when he was Prince in the new power generation. And we had to, as a cast move to Minnesota, we rehearsed at Paisley park. um, And then we were going on a tour and our third city of the tour or fourth city of the tour, the tour got canceled because his wife, the director of our company was uh, pregnant. Mm -hmm. So we got slips under our door. It said the tour has been canceled. We had all (laughs) given up our apartments. It was chaos. And we, I ended up back in LA and, um, then one thing led to another. I ended up booking another tour for Jordan Knight, And that was sort of the beginning of the end of the studio. Cause I was, (laughs) not able to go back there that often. Mm -hmm. And this was in 99 that I got that tour. Um, and I just continuously worked, whether it was films or commercials or touring for artists, Mm -hmm. I was working nonstop and my, uh, tour, I think that sort of shifted everything as a dancer was, uh, I did a tour for a group called LFO, mm-hmm. which I knew that they were opening up for Britney Spears. And, um, I was like, okay, I'm going to audition for this because I want to be on tour with Britney. So I booked it. 
I went out, we ended up hanging out with Brittany a lot. One thing led to another and they rebooted her next tour. And it was sort of an updated version of her last tour and they recast the dancers. I got hired for that. And that was sort of the end of it for me. It was the biggest tour I had done as a dancer. And it was also my in to starting to do choreography. Um, I, Wade Robson was directing the tour and uh, Jamie King, they were actually co-directing the tour. And I had been assisting Jamie King as an assistant choreographer for years at that point and also assisting Wade. Um, and right after that tour, Wade asked me to take over a project for him that he couldn't be at. And I was really nervous to do it, but I said, yes. And after the success of that project, he handed me another job and said, I can't do this. You can just completely do this on your own. And uh, that was the start of it. I was working on that job. It was with Christina Milian. She was a teenager. And I invited Brittany and Justin because um, Jordan Knight tour that I was on, we were opening act for Sync, So I was friends with the guys <laughs> of Sync from that. So I invited Brittany and Justin who were dating at the time to rehearsal and they came down and both loved what they saw and told Wade, who was directing both of their projects at the time that they wanted me to choreograph. So Wade brought me in as uh, an assistant choreographer on Dirty Pop for NSYNC. And he brought me in as co-choreographer for Brittany for Slate for You. And once those two projects came out and were successful, I then really had a name for myself and Mm -hmm. the work just started flooding in. Um, and it was a very, very fun period of time. And you have not stopped working since No, And, and one thing has always led to another. I never really had a plan per se, other than I just wanted to work and be Mm -hmm. successful. Um, but it wasn't, a timeline. I never said I have to be a choreographer. It it was something that organically happened. And I had done years and years of working on set as a professional dancer and as an assistant choreographer. So when the time came, I actually knew what I was doing and was prepared. Unlike a lot of younger people who are like, I want to be a choreographer, yet they actually don't know anything about the business or camera or film. Mm -hmm. So I knew what I was doing. (laughs) All of it or creative. Um, (laughs) So I definitely knew what I was doing when I got into that field and organically it continued to evolve. And I was hired as a creative director and I was hired as a director. And that brought me into production for television. And it put me behind the camera as an actual director. And, um, it definitely has been this nonstop evolution of what I can do in the entertainment industry. Um, and I've really achieved almost everything that I want to do. Mm-hmm. That being said, because I am such a, a Gemini who gets bored very fast <laughs> because I am that way. Um, I never really stayed in one thing. You know, my dance career was great. I guess I was in it for long enough, but I never really, I could have gone so much longer as a Mm -hmm. professional dancer. I was 23 when I stopped 
And some of my friends who are in their 40s, they're still working as a professional dancer and they've gone on 15 world tours and they've done all these amazing things and they've performed, you know, places that I never even touched or dreamed of because I cut my performance career so short. Um, My choreographer, you move on and become a director and producer and creative director. A lot of choreographers or directors and producers and creative directors don't want to hire you as a choreographer because either they feel like you're working below your skill set or mm-hmm. you could do what they do and they don't want the threat around. Right. So uh, because I moved so quickly into direction and production, I feel like I cut my choreo- choreography career very short. Um, even though I still choreograph, I still, if I would have made that my primary focus and just would have stayed in that lane, I maybe could have achieved a lot more than what I did. Same thing goes into the creative direction and production. It's because I have always been such a, what's next? (laughs) Where am I going next? I've never really given each of these things their fair share in time to flourish. Which is so my, my message to everyone is focus on one thing, <laughs> <laughs> just focus on one thing and achieve that and, and really let it play out or be like me. And maybe you will look back and say, God, I should have spent more time doing that. But it's uh, what I was going to say was, it's really interesting to hear you say this because you still have achieved so much. Like, oh yeah. And no <laughs> And again, going back to that monumental success, it's not about the monumental success. I think you are super successful for the breadth of uh, creativity, uh, creative artwork that you've done. Not that, not just that your dance career has been this or your choreography, your, your breadth of creativity spans. As you said, you have friends who are in their forties who are still dancing that pretty sure they're like, Oh, I wish I had jumped into a, Creative direction or choreography something there earlier so i wouldn't still be doing this or we all the grass is always greener there's always i was just gonna say the same thing but that is just the way my brain works and thinks is uh i'm always looking at things and thinking what if (laughs) what if i would have done this or what if i wouldn't have done that um but i think that that's just what happens when you are a half a century or going on a half a century old because you feel <laughs> um, the clock ticking. And you're like, okay, I really got to get things going. <laughs> you're <not>. still tough. <laughs> All right. So with that said, what is a project that you would have liked to have done that you haven't been able to concentrate on specifically? Um, like to have done, but haven't been able to concentrate on specifically. Well, like, cause um, you said, cause you said you, you didn't go into like choreography a hundred percent. You dabbled into everything. So it was there. I mean, I went into it a hundred percent. I just didn't <laughs> stay. I just didn't stay as ah, long okay. as I could have. Okay. So um, you're saying. I didn't stay as long. I I saw the next shiny thing Mm. and I walked through the door (laughs) Um, (laughs) rather than saying, okay, you know what? My choreography career is really killing it right now. 
let me not do that because that's not what I'm focused on. Um, I always saw the shiny things and went towards them. So, um, but there are definitely things that I would love to do artists that I haven't worked for that I would love to cross that off my bucket list. When I was a little kid in my room, right when I started dancing, like the first six months of dancing, I made this list of who I wanted to dance for. Mm -hmm. And it was Michael Jackson, Janet Jackson, Prince, did it, did it, did it. Madonna and Paula Abdul and Madonna is the only person who I had never worked for. And here we are a, a thousand years later and I've still never worked for her. Mm-hmm. And she is one of those rare birds who is still working. Yeah. Um, yet I'm not a dancer anymore. And like that never got to be achieved. So I would love to choreograph for her. Also not an option. I've been submitting for ages and never get hired. So like that would be something I would love to do. Then there's artists that just inspire me that I love their work and love their music. And of course, I would love to work for them. Um, So if they picked up the phone, I would be there in a heartbeat. So I still will choreograph for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to work on a film that inspires me again that is a huge job that is a huge musical i would love to work on a tv show that is a huge musical that involves tons of dancing mm-hmm. um i think i can definitely be inspired to still work if it's an inspiring project okay it's the jobs that aren't inspiring that kill me it's mm-hmm. when work becomes work yep and it's funny because I have managed to make a career out of my passion, which is crazy that I can do what it is that I love and have been doing it for this long. Um, But it's also a challenge to not fall out of love with it when Mm -hmm. it becomes your paycheck. Yep. Um, And that's what I have found is that industry work, some of it, can make me really not enjoy (laughs) dance anymore Um, because there's just so many variables that come into play, so many opinions, so much weight placed on the work that you're doing that it's not fun anymore. And that's why I love teaching so much is it is the one thing that is, I have true ownership over the room and what I get back is joy and you know what you give, it changes their lives. And you can't say that about the job that you do in the industry, unless it is one of those successful jobs where the video becomes iconic and everyone loves it. And they're talking about it for decades. And they say, this is my favorite thing. This inspires me so much. So you, you can definitely have that in the industry, but not every project is like that. And <laughs> we all some of those projects those. that are beautiful and inspiring, you may have had a terrible time on the set. It may have been one of the worst experiences, yet the final product is something that inspired people. So it's the price you pay. But I definitely have had my my fair share of bad experiences in the <laughs> entertainment industry. But so does everyone else in their nine to five job. Right. It's not all roses. So I'm definitely not complaining and I'm definitely not bitter. Um, I just, I find those fun jobs to be 
few and far between. Mm -hmm. And as I said earlier, there's learning experiences in everything that we do. Even the worst situation gives you uh, yeah. a learning of, I don't want to do this shit anymore. <laughs> clarity. It gives you clarity. <laughs> Clar clarity. That's a good way to put it. So let's do this real quick. Let's run, let's just run through a bunch of shit that you've done. So uh, name, uh, you've already named Patty, Janet, Michael, Celine, and Prince. Uh, name five, five other artists you've worked with. Beyonce, uh, Rihanna, Justin Bieber, um, Nicole Scherzinger, uh, who else? Pink. Pink. There we go. Usher. Uh, okay. That's six. Um, five movies you've worked on. Well, newsies. <laughs> um, <laughs> one of the most recent that I did, I uh, choreographed K through 12. It was a film for Melanie Martinez. Oh, cute. Um, that I absolutely love. Um, I worked on Charlie's Angels um, when I was a dancer. She's All That, which was like a huge cult dance scene movie that I love. Uh, that's Austin the Powers, one That's so one with Eddie Prince Jr., right? Yeah, Freddie Prince Jr. Prince Jr. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Austin Powers. Someone just texted me that they uh, saw me in Austin Powers the other day. <laughs> so, yeah, those are five. Okay. Um, five commercials you've done. Gap, 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 <laughs> gap. <laughs> gap up me my first house. Um, no, I did a lot of Gap commercials. Um, I also did iPod. Um, you were one of the first iPod uh, shadows, yes, weren't you? Silhouette. I was the yes, um, the first release. They had three different, and I was rock. Um, mm -hmm. It's the song "Are You Gonna Be My Girl." You can definitely see me in that with long hair. Yeah. Um, what I, I did a Coors Light commercial. Um, I can't even remember. I've choreographed, I choreographed a Fanta commercial that I loved. I choreographed a Mandalay Bay commercial that was really fun. Um, Pepsi, I've choreographed a couple Pepsi commercials. Mm -hmm. Yeah, different stuff. Have you done any musicals? Um, I did a musical in Vegas. It was uh, called A Mob Story. And that was a really unique job because I was actually working for an ex capo uh, regime from, is it the Colombo family? <laughs> um, so it was crazy just that being immersed in that environment and learning so much about the mob and the culture and the history and then putting it on stage in an artistic way. Um, that definitely gave me... Uh, that urge to work more in theater. Um, but yeah, that's the first theatrical show that I've uh, fully. Okay. Done. And then five TV shows. Um, Will and Grace, that 70s show, um, Moesha. <laughs> oh my God, that's old. Um, <laughs> I can't think what other scripted shows. I'd have to look at my resume. And then every... That's show that you could imagine every As award show every talk show literally all of them and then if, of course so you think the new ones like james corden 
uh, yeah, in those reality competition shows. So you think you could dance, Dancing with the Stars, America's Got Talent, X Factor, The Voice, all of those. Dude, Beast Mode. American Idol. Beast Friedman is your new name. Okay, so we have one special sequence that we do in the show. My last name is Gamble. I play off of it. So what I did is I bought a roulette table. Filled with 16 shot glasses. Each shot glass is numbered, which correlates to a question. We spin the magic roulette wheel. We ask the question. You answer. It's that. It's nothing shady or uh, what's the word I'm looking for or like too personal or anything like that. It's nothing bad. It's just fun questions. All right. So we have the magic roulette ball. We plop it in. We spin it around, round and round and round it goes, and it lands on... Number 20. Something about dance people think they know but are completely wrong about or that you want them to you want to school them about. Well, that you can't make a lucrative uh living in dance. <laughs> and that may have been something that was more of a thing when I was a kid. But it definitely was this misconception of starving artists Mm -hmm. and, oh, don't go into dance, you know, become a lawyer or a doctor. You can make a very uh, nice living as a dancer. But with that, there are still people, especially family members, are like, so what do you do to make money? Or have I seen you in anything that I could recognize? Like, it's not... You know what, dance, and that that goes back to, and I've been saying this to a lot of people that I do Q&As with lately, the cool job is no different than the job that you view as less than. They put the same money in your pocket, they give you the same opportunities, and the second that you take that stigma off of it, because I used to do the same thing when I was first working and I wasn't booking, you know, the cool job that I wanted. I would do a Disney job. And I was like, Ugh, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> no one else is looking at it like that. And there was a huge stigma of cruise ships. Oh, well, you don't want to be a cruise ship dancer. I was like, why not? Now I look at these dancers that are on cruise ships and I think it's the best job ever. They are getting cultured. They're seeing the world. Mm-hmm. They're on a vacation for a living. <laughs> Um, so, and there's amazing choreographers who are setting things on cruise ships. So I think, um, people need to stop looking at jobs as one thing is better than another. And did I see you in something? Well, no, and it doesn't matter. Was my rent paid? Yes. (laughs) So stay out my business. (laughs) (laughs) Stay out my business, my business, stay out about my business. Wow, that's an old song. Uh, (laughs) um, Because it's you, I want to do one more bonus question. I normally don't do this, but I'm interested to get your perspective on it, especially with TikTok uh, now. Uh, What has been one of your most hated dance moves throughout the years? Um, There is... Oh, God. (laughs) It's... It's that one with the leg kicking and they were like jumping on one leg, kicking. Oh my God. (laughs) I hated that move. 
hated it. And the floss. Uh, yeah, dude. You, did you see my face just drop when you say that? Yeah. That one. And then that one pissed me off as well because old people tried to start doing it as well. Yeah. And it stopped. Ugh. Yeah, oh, but that this, was the worst for me is oh, the shoot. I'm going to go back to 2003, 2004. I used to hate the wobble. Okay, yeah, it was so white, but I, I was fine with it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I, I, I tried to, I did it, but I did this like hand whip in it. But that's fine. <laughs> it was just make that, it cool. <laughs> but it's just that everybody in LA put it into a class or a routine that didn't need to yeah. happen. Mine was in Christina Aguilera Dirty. I remember that. I remember, <laughs> but so I didn't. Gross. But I, but I didn't consider it the wobble because it was different. You made you made I, it look I tried cool. to adapt it, and that's the thing is like these social dances. Um, I rarely will put them in combos because I'm like that's not my choreography. That's right. that's that. Even though my choreography when I started choreographing, I would put like the Roger Rabbit and Running Man and stuff, and I was like I choreographed it. <laughs> now, unless I came up with the step, <laughs> it's not my step. Um, but. I like will try. I remember when the nene became a thing, I would like try and do the motion, but add different arms to it. Like, yuck. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't ever want to look back on my choreography and feel like it's dated. And if yeah. I don't do something that has a timestamp on it, then it's not dated. Mm-hmm. Look, There you go. Boom. Okay, so before we go, if people want to find out more about Mr. Freeman or follow his uh, classes and choreographies around the world, where can they find you? Um, It's funny. I'm one of the only people in the world without a website. Um, (laughs) I just, I don't have one. And I say every year, I'm like, I'm going to get a website. You don't need one. I had one like in 2000 something in the beginning of the 2000s. <laughs> um, but I, with all of this social media and all of these places, I'm like, there's too many places to find me for me to add something else in there. Um, and I have these links that have, that take you to everything that I have. So I figure that's fine. It suffices. Um, they find me on Instagram. They can find me on Facebook. They can find me on Twitter. They can find me on what is that other one? TikTok. Snapchat. They can find me on Snapchat. I don't use it. I don't know how to use a tool <laughs> for that. Um, they can find me everywhere. They can find my official email in my uh, descriptions everywhere. If they want to reach out about something, if they want to book me, they can find me. I'm at UTA um, in LA. That's, that's <laughs> All it. Right. Well, okay. What's your, what's your Instagram handle? At Brian Friedman. Um, or at Brian Friedman official. Cool. Yeah, it's both of them. And they can find me on YouTube. I'm, I'm there as well. So let's so start there with at Brian Friedman or at Brian Friedman official. Yeah, if you go to Instagram. at Brian Friedman on Instagram and then you click that little link, it takes you everywhere. It's called a link tree, ladies and gentlemen. It gives you a link to everything. Except it's That's not it. mine because I don't like to do things that everybody does. <laughs> I use a company called PicoLink. Pico link. Okay. I may or may not be paid to do that as well <laughs> because I'm also an influencer. <laughs> there it is. We'll just, we'll just slide the that ad right on in there. Of all. No stress. No stress. So 
go to go to at Brian Friedman or at Brian Friedman official and find the Pico link and you can get linked to every part of him on the web. If you're not doing already, make sure you're following Gamble's Green Room at Gamble's Green Room on Instagram to stay up to date of all of my guests, some behind the scenes footage, as well as some goodies of what my guests have been doing in the world of uh, their field. Um, Brian, dude, great to see you after so long. You look amazing. You Timeless as usual. Thank you so much. Keep twirling for the gods. Keep keep inspiring the kids. And Always. I hope to see you soon again, buddy. Thanks so much for doing this. I greatly, 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 greatly appreciate it. So Thanks good for having me. Buddy. I'll Bye. see you soon.